today on Laura Lynn and Friends. This is uh, the real virus that we're facing. It is the end of democratic government as we knew it. We, we don't have democratic government right now. Well, hello everyone and welcome to the beginning of the last days. My name is Laura Lynn Tatter Thompson and I always like to read from my dad's Bible. He passed away just a bit over a year ago. I miss him a lot and his Bible is underlined, marked, dated, um, little notations of all the things that he thought were significant of, of anything that he was reading and uh, you know, it, it meant a lot to me uh, to get his Bible after he passed and to actually get to know my dad a little bit more because I knew that he, you know, liked to read the Bible. I just didn't know he was such an intense studier of words and what they mean and all of that. So today, um, the, the verse that popped up that he had underlined it, uh, underlined, it says Psalms 133, uh, verse 1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is. For brethren to dwell together in unity and I think that is so true that finding unity finding like-minded people people who actually um, share your values and your views this is a season where we need to be with those that truly get it and of course we've been going through a lot this last year wherein we've seen that uh, some of our loved ones some of our friends oh look at that you can see my mug there that's super cool. All right. Um, now, before we get to our amazing guest, many of you know Pastor Andy Woods, and he is uh, such a, an absolute brilliant presenter. He is um, somebody who speaks into the lives of people across the world, and in particular in the United States of America. He has got a beautiful heart, a beautiful ministry. And he is awakened, so he knows what's going on. He's one of those men of Issachar that they talk about, where they are discerners of the times. But I just want to let you know, I had an incredible weekend. You might have seen some pictures going online. Um, I'm back on Facebook tomorrow, guys. My 30-day ban for telling the truth is over tomorrow. I'm pretty excited about that because I've got a lot of followers on Facebook. And is my hair in the way? Oh, okay. My husband actually cares about my hair. This is a beautiful moment sweetie it means a lot to me um usually doesn't even notice when i get you know a haircut or new hair color uh completely seems to go unnoticed so this is thank you that's beautiful um so i get to the airport uh to fly to calgary so this was saturday midday i think and have you ever done this that you get to the airport and you don't have your suitcase because you thought your honey was getting it and he thought you were getting it. I get to the airport with nothing but my purse. Thank God I had my hair straightener in there, but nothing like no toiletries, you know, no clothes for the weekend. So I got this awesome jacket from my friend Hillary. Um, another gal that was at Pastor Arter's church, she gave me a shirt and another blazer. So I, I mean, actually, I, I ended up with more than I would have had if I had my suitcase. And I found out you can buy toiletries at the airport. It's beautiful. So I was a little overwhelmed. I felt the blackness beginning to come in, you know, on my life when I don't have my stuff. And I was freaking out a bit on the inside, but I'm pretty proud of myself. A, I didn't get mad at my husband and say, well, you were supposed to grab my bag and he didn't get mad at me and say, well, I thought you had it. Like, how could you leave without your bag? None of that happened. We just kind of went, oh dear, 
we got to handle this. And I couldn't turn around and go home. It was too far. And uh, we handled it. We didn't yell at each other. And now he cares about what my hair looks like. So beautiful. All right. So, formerly a professor of Bible and theology at the College of Biblical Studies in Houston from 2009 to 2016, Andy now serves as president of Schaefer Theological Seminary and senior pastor of Sugarland Bible Church. Don't you love that name? Sugarland. That's so cool. And he lives with his wife, Anne, of 23 years, and daughter, Sarah. And he has contributed to numerous theological journals and Christian books. And he is here with us today as a discerner of the times and somebody who can help us to walk through things. So thank you, Pastor Andy Wood. Thank you uh, very much for joining us today. Well, it's a joy to be here. And thanks for having me. You are welcome. Um, now, we are watching what's going on. Uh, you may have seen some of the things that happened here in Canada. We've had pastors jailed. Uh, we have had pastors fined hundreds of thousands of dollars as we've gone through, you know, these these different seasons uh, with, with the COVID um, that hit us. But um, tell me about the United States of America and what similarities or differences do you see in what's going on? And most of all, sir, would you just share your heart about what you think God is speaking to us at this critical hour? Well, I would say the United States is divided. Um, we have kind of the red blue state uh, issue. We have some states like my own state of Texas, you know, that are very conservative but you have other states that are more bluish, like on the West Coast, you have California, East Coast, you have New York. And during the height of the whole COVID situation, uh, those pastors in those very blue states were facing, you know, something very, very similar, maybe not quite as extreme, but very similar to what you guys were going through and are going through in Canada. And their churches were being fined and threatened, and they were being threatened with jail. And so um, that's sort of the long and short of it, you know, here in the United States, we're basically a very divided country. Wow. Um, and we have seen that same division that's happening up here. Um, so how, how have you sort of uh, then positioned yourself as a leader in your church, and by the way, I do love Sugar Land. Uh, that why is it called that? Well, we we are Southwest Houston, just outside of Houston. And um, when this uh, city was started, um, it was known for uh, importing sugar, uh, you know, creating it and then sending it elsewhere. Okay. And so it got the name, you know, right when it started, Sugar Land. And, you know, the sugar mill is now closed down, but the, the city name, you know, continues. And we kind of like to look at our church that way, you know, that we're teaching the purity of God's word and exporting it, you know, everywhere. So we kind of like to think we're following in the same mold, you know, in a, in a spiritual sense, you know, in the same city. Um, so... As you have been going through this, do you believe that um, that God is using what has happened to bring us together in unity? We're a little bit surprised here in Canada at the blindness. I don't know if you felt that because a lot of people actually... 
do not seem to know what's going on. Yeah, um, there's a lot of people that just have a mindset that you just submit to the government, no matter what the government tells you to do. But, you know, if you understand the United States, you understand our foundation, and if you understand unalienable or inalienable rights, and that our rights come from God and not the state, you know, the state doesn't have any right to step in and mitigate, you know, free speech or to tell people they can't go to church or, you know, to these were some of the insane, insane things going on, you know, when COVID was at its height. Uh, you can't sing because, you know, if you sing, it might spread the, the virus, etc. And so really what's happened is, you know, you asked me, has God used it? I mean, very clearly he's used it because there's been sort of a, a separation uh, between churches that are sort of woke, um, lukewarm churches. And you saw them, you know, shut their doors for a very long time during COVID. But you saw other churches, you know, actually taking a stand. And so... What the whole COVID situation revealed is the difference between a Bible-based church and more of a woke church. And every single conservative Bible-oriented ministry that I know of, every single one of them, has told me the same thing. That their attendance, their budget, their um, you know numerical count on social media, everything increased when COVID hit. And it was almost like God you know, was rewarding, you know, uh, those churches that were going to be faithful to him, you know, regardless of what the state says. And so every single church, our church included, enjoyed a tremendous uptick, you know, in everything. The moment people could see that we were a principled church and we weren't just sort of an appendage of, you know, um, Fauci and the Biden regime. And other churches that were that were woke, you know, um, it became obvious what they were about, too. And so I think, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that God has used the last couple of years, you know, very strategically. Um, one of the things that I greatly admire about you is you're not afraid to... Uh to tell the truth, to speak about what's on your mind from the pulpit, which I think is lacking in many churches, especially that we're seeing here in Canada and, of course, across the United States. Uh, a lot's going on. I mean, here in Canada, we've got the United Church that's having drag queens um, read stories to the Sunday school kids. So we've got a big problem. But um, I'd like to play a clip of uh, one of the things that you've said and to show a, a little bit about, you know, the authenticity and, and the courage that you show. Take a look. Critical race theory. Critical race theory is a worldview. We know it's a worldview because it answers all of the questions that Christianity answers. Who am I? The Bible tells you that. A special creation from God. Where did I come from? From God's design. Why am I here? To glorify God. Where am I going? To heaven. How can I get there? Through Jesus Christ. Critical race theory comes along and says we have answers to all those questions too. But we're going to answer the same question differently. Who are we? Not image bearers of God, but you're a member of a group. It's all about group. Uh, the fancy name for this is political identity, special identity. 
the focus isn't the fact that you are an image bearer of God, but you're in an oppressed group. Critical race theory. What is our problem? We would say our problem is sin. Critical race theory says, no, the problem is oppression. All the talk is about oppression, not the fact that we are dead in our trespasses and sins and need Jesus, but you're part of an oppressed group. What is the new birth? The Bible says the new birth is regeneration. Titus 3 verse 5. The impartation of divine life. What is regeneration in critical race theory? It's being woke. Wokeness. You've got to read all of these books and listen to all of these seminars because you need to be woke. What does that mean? You need to be awakened to the subconscious races that you already are and you just don't know it. It's a, it's a different um, regeneration. What's the solution? We say the solution is Jesus Christ. Critical race. So um, when, when you speak of, of wokeness, uh, what have you come to understand about what that means in our life? And, and yes, I know, we do know as Christians, we believe that the solution is Jesus Christ. Um, We've, we've got quite a problem in the division that's happening between the left and the right. It's never been so prominent. Yeah, I mean, one of the things to understand about Marxism is they are very pro-religion. You know, even though Marx called religion, you know, the opiate of the masses, when you actually look into what Marxist tyrants have done, they've co-opted religion. And so basically what they've done is they've tried to make Jesus into something less than he is. You know, Jesus, instead of being the creator and the redeemer and the son of God who rose from the dead and died, you know, paid the penalty for our sins, Jesus, they've remade him into sort of a social reformer. And the Marxists are so smart that they realize that they can lower the resistance to communism in a population if they simply co-opt religion and make religion you know, compatible with Marxism. And that's what's called liberation theology. And so you notice that they've redefined regeneration. You know, regeneration is it, to them is becoming aware of the class struggle. Um, today they call it being woke. But you know, that's one of the reasons I did that sermon is I wanted people to understand that all of these things that they're being force fed in the area of critical race theory is actually, you know, a religious enterprise by design. So do do you think that there's a lot of racism still happening? I mean, I've been watching some very courageous African American people stating that they've they've had amazing opportunities and they do not believe that America is a racist country. We always find certain people that can be racist, but what do you say about the general populace of America with regard to racism? Well, I would say racism is anywhere. Um, there are always people, you know, that are racist, you know, think one skin color is, is higher than another. Um, of course, that's that's wrong. That's an abomination. 
to think that. And if that's all critical race theory was about, you know, let's stop the individual racist, then I would be on board with that. But that's not what it's about. What they're trying to argue for is not that there are individual racists, but they use these expressions, structural racism, um, systemic racism, institutional racism. And what they mean by that is America is it's racist from its foundations. And they point out every single racial problem America has ever had. They don't point out any of the good things that we've done to remedy racism structurally, like the 13th and 14th and 15th amendments to the United States Constitution, you know, which got rid of slavery. They don't talk about the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And they almost want to take you back to a pre-Civil War environment where they want you to believe that the country that you're living in from its foundation, based on its structures, it's, is racist. And so what they want to do once the population believes that is they want to tear down the existing social structure. And then the key thing to understand is what do they want to replace it with? That's what the word progressive means. You know, we're progressing somewhere. And what they want to replace it with is um, ultimately one world Marxism or communism. That's the end game. And right standing in the way is the United States of America. And so you have to convince the population that the country that they're in is systemically racist so they can tear it down and replace it with something better. And so I think that's one of the reasons they've co-opted religion, you know, with this critical race theory mindset is, um, you know, they're trying to move the population that direction. Are you worried for your America or do you believe that you're coming through all of this? We're watching what's happening on your borders. We're watching the decline of values and morals and traditional beliefs. What do you think? Well, from a human perspective, I'm very worried about America. Um, I have a teenage daughter and it's sort of obvious to me that she is not going to inherit the nation, you know, that I grew up in. And this country right now is an absolute mess. The border, I live in the Houston area, so I'm sensitive to this issue. The, the border, our southern border is wide open and you can't have a country, you know, without borders. Um, our, our economy is in a shambles. Inflation, you know, is going right through the roof. Um, we're moving into kind of a two-tiered justice system where it's kind of one set of rules for the, the people that are on, in the in crowd and another set of rules for the rest of us. Um, we're mired in, you know, scandal after scandal after scandal. If you've been following things like what's going on with the, you know, the Hunter Biden laptop. Oh, we're, we sure have. We're moving yep. aggressively. We're allowed to it. talk about it now. We're, we kind of got banned a year ago for mentioning anything about the Hunter Biden laptop, but now, oh, we're, we're apparently it's all true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And another thing is the January 6th protesters. Right. You know, a lot, a lot of them right now, as I speak, are still incarcerated. And you wonder, well, what happened to their constitutional rights? So when you look at all these trends I've tried to describe, 
you know, I, and I, you know, if it was just for, it was, if it was just about me, I guess I wouldn't be as concerned, but for my daughter, you know, I'm very concerned about the direction of our country. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, um, we thank you for weighing in on us today. We're up against, uh, another interview that, uh, we've got several doctors, um, and, uh, some very powerful, courageous people that are speaking out. And so we're up against that today. Uh, but we do thank you. Uh, do you have any final word of encouragement to those that have faith and know that God's in charge, but they're really scared? What would you say to them? Well, I would just quote the Bible where, you know, Jesus says, I'll, le- I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And, you know, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when you live that way, you understand that your ultimate hope doesn't come with a nation or an administration or an economy, but it comes from your relationship, you know, to God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son, who has made us uh, promises that are unchangeable and immutable. And if people are worried and scared, um, that's a good sign to start, you know, building your house on a better foundation. You know, the foundation built on the rock, when the storm comes, it doesn't fall over, as Jesus talked about in Matthew 7. Mm. Well said, sir. And I just thank you for your continued courage, the way that you speak out, the way that you show us the path to truth and to not uh, be cowards at this day. We know that Revelation says that listed first of those who do not enter the gates of heaven is the cowards. And uh, you teach us how to be courageous. And I thank you for that. Thank you for your time today. Thanks for having me. Love being here. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you so much. I like him and you should watch him on, uh, on YouTube and all of his teachings. He's absolutely wonderful. So we have some Ontario doctors that are going to be raising and are raising, uh, charter claims against, uh, CPSO, um, on the line today, we're going to have Michael Alexander. He is counsel for doctors, Mark Trozzi, Patrick Phillips and Crystal. Oh dear. That's a tough name. Uh, Let's cue, let's say, uh, announced today, well, they've been going through a, a, discipl- a discipline tribunal of the College of Physicians and Surgeons in Ontario, and we want to get the latest of what's happening with them. And we've been seeing some very courageous doctors. I've been traveling with Dr. Mackis. Uh, we've got uh, any number, Dr. Charles Hoff, a real hero from my province of British Columbia. We've got doctors that are speaking out that are unwilling to be silent at this hour with what is going on. And so I just want to welcome them to the show. And then we do have Dr. Patrick Phillips, who will be getting on as soon as he can on the, the link that we just let go uh, when we had uh, Pastor Andy Woods on. And so welcome everyone to the show. Thank you very much for being here. Dr. Trozzi, you are truly a hero to us. And I see all of the information that you're putting out there and um, writing your newsletters. And I'm on that feed. And I I always want to know what you're saying because this is, I'll, I'll start with you. How, how are you doing? It's been a while since we've had you on the show. Uh-oh. Just... Uh, your audio, um, check My your fault. audio. There we go. Can you hear me now? Yeah, we can hear you now. Go ahead. Hey, Laura Lynn. Sorry about that. I That's okay, Dr. Trozzi. Yeah. 
Well, thanks. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks for everything you're doing. It's so refreshing. I, I really love our real journalists in Canada. Uh, you being just right there at the top of the list in that in that small group. So thanks for everything you're doing. In terms of how I'm doing, well, like um, yourself and the good minister that we were just listening to, you know, living in a very bizarre dystopian time. Um, I think for all of us, it's it's you know, I mean, there's a, definitely a sad side to what what we've been put through for the last few years, what we're up against. Um, and uh, but at the same time, uh, what a great time to be on the right side of history. Uh, I'm very proud of the work we're doing. I'm very proud to be with Patrick Phillips, Crystal Lichke, Michael Alexander, and, uh, you know, really hundreds of doctors across this country who've kept our ethics and science. So um, and we're up for the challenges ahead. That is so wonderful to hear. And um I know that it's it's a very high price that you're all paying in order to do this. And so that means a lot to us. And, um, you know, Dr. Trozzi, when I'm traveling with Dr. Mackis and the, the different ones that are daring to speak, um, the audience says hundreds and hundreds of people stand to their feet in applause. And you can bet that the audience that's watching today is just absolutely cheering you on with what you're doing, how you're standing, anything that you have to bring before the court we stand with you. And so we're looking forward to hearing about that. We're going to let go of YouTube, I think right now, because uh, YouTube, if you guys want to watch and you want to continue to see, this is, this is groundbreaking stuff that we're going to be talking about. Just please go over to our Rumble channel, our BitChute channel. You can go to Odyssey. You can go to Twitter. Twitter is a live feed. Um, go to my channel at Lauralyn TT and watch the rest of the interview. But uh, we want to respect YouTube's rules right now. And sometimes they don't like all the things that we put out. So we're going to let them go. And we hope that you'll follow us over to the other channels. Um, if I could then go to uh, Michael Alexander. Uh, thank you for being here today. Maybe you could help uh, to educate us on what is going on with the Ontario doctors and this Oh, he's gone for some reason? Okay. All right. We'll wait for him to get back. Uh, do we have Crystal on the line now? All right, Crystal, let's let's go to you. And if you could sort of tell us what, um, what this initiative involves with all of you fighting back. Hi, Laura, Laura Lynn. Hi, Crystal. It's really lovely to be here. Thank you. So and it's wonderful to have you. Our battle... Thank you. Our battle has really, sorry, I have a lot of echo here. I'm going to try to, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you really well and we don't hear an echo at all. So we, we okay. hear you well. Perfect. Yeah. So largely the college has taken upon themselves extra powers that they don't have the authority be implementing in their investigations or in their disciplinary actions against us physicians. So the COVID narrative has really come down hard on certain physicians who use their own clinical judgment and advise by patient-centered care using our ethics and the laws of our profession. And instead of just 
using those as recommendations and leaving us to provide care for our patients. They started investigating us and have suspended um, actually all three of our licenses now. And they're investigating upwards of 70 physicians in Ontario for different speeds and for uh, writing COVID exemptions, um, authorizing prescriptions for ivermectin, and ultimately anything that goes against their mandates and actually they're, they're just recommendations. Right. So that's where we're at. That's where you're at. Um, now, I think that we heard most of that, Crystal, but I think it was actually better when you had your headset in. You might, okay. um, it, I think we heard you better, but I don't know if that's, you know, if it's giving you an echo. But I, I heard what you had to say. So basically, instead okay. of honoring doctors uh, for their, um, f for being doctors and their expertise in that, they have sanctioned you. And so we also have Patrick Phillips and Dr. Phillips, uh, we've had you on several times before and you're a favorite here. Thank you very much for your stand, your continued stand. Um, how how can you um, in, enlarge on what we know about this, um, this claim and, and this, uh, you know, this charter claim basically, I think that you're putting forward? Yeah. Uh, thanks again for having me on, Laura Lynn. Um, that's a great question. So, so yeah, just as um, um, Crystal mentioned, um, we brought forth a claim um, at the tribunal level. So this is at the college itself. It's kind of our first step uh, along the way of kind of going up courts when, uh, when we appeal. Uh, but our, our arguments are going to be the same. So one of the main ones uh, that we brought forward is the college... Uh, the college's ability to regulate the medical profession. So in the, in the legislation we have here in Ontario, um, the college actually does not have the authority to set regulations or to set the standard of practice for uh, the profession. And it, it's not because no college has that ability, but what they put in the legislation is that if they want to regulate and, and set um, standards of practice, uh, for example, um, um, how we're supposed to treat COVID patients, what we're allowed to prescribe and what we're not, that actually has to be approved by cabinet. It's written right in the legislation uh, that that's the only way they, they can actually regulate and put that into uh, effect to, to the point that they can uh, bring us to a tribunal and prosecute us. So that's one of our main arguments because actually between... Um, uh, 1991 when the, when the legislation was enacted up until now there have only been 35 regulations about what actually constitutes professional misconduct um, and uh, since then they've not uh, amended that legislation at all so uh, the college um, uh, has acknowledged this and that so all of their policies that they put forth whether it's about uh, social media use, uh, free speech, uh, informed consent uh, about how we're supposed to treat um, uh, COVID. All of those are just merely suggestions. They're policies with no force or effect because they haven't gone through the proper uh, process of going to the Ontario cabinet and getting approved by the governor and council. And so um, all of those, uh, all of uh, those 
regulations or any investigations or uh, allegations or charges that are being brought forward by the tribunal, we're arguing are null and void and need to be thrown out. Uh, because that's a constitutional issue, we believe under Section 7 or, or, or others, uh, but basically that um, we ha they have to follow the rule of law. Uh, and the college has just been so used to not following the rule of law that that they've just uh, haven't even bothered making policies. So they actually, the, the prosecutions they brought against us for uh, mask exemptions, uh, vaccine exemptions, uh, prescribing ivermectin, they didn't even go through council and get approved even by the college itself. These were emails put out by the registrar, like a, basically a FAQs, like they're not like, and but they, they treat them as if they're the full force of law and they've come after us all with a vengeance for not following their suggestions that they put out. And so the college is so used to working outside of the law because the courts are so reluctant to, uh, get in there and and uh, apply the rule of law and the constitution. Um, so the college has just gotten lazy. Are a game changer entirely for the college. It's gonna uproot every investigation they've done over the last 30 years, possibly, uh, if we're successful. Uh, be, and it doesn't mean the college can't have those powers, but they have to follow the law. And so that's uh, a big part of our argument. Uh, the other part of our argument was around charter rights, so the right to free expression, and uh, that was one of the main ones because that's what they seem to be coming after us. Any doctor who's spoken out against uh, uh, the public health uh, measures uh, is prosecuted. But uh, the other one as well is the right to informed consent. So that's not our right, but our, the right of our patients. They've banned us from speaking about vaccine adverse events, uh, reporting adverse events, uh, giving exemptions or even performing informed consent. Uh, and so that is a violation of our patients' Section 7 charter rights, and that's well established in constitutional law. So that's one of our other arguments uh, that we brought forward. Um, uh, and so the, the accumulation basically is we're saying that these regulations, one, they're not even legal, they're not even, they're not even law at all. Uh, and then two, even if they were law, they're violations of our charter rights and the charter rights of every patient uh, in Ontario, uh, because they don't allow us to give informed consent to our patients. If we give them informed consent, they take away your license, and that's criminal. Absolutely. Um, Dr. Trozzi, for all of these things that uh, Dr. Phillips just talked about, there is an absolute fear of going to hospitals now. People want doctors like you guys. People want doctors who are, are going to be free to prescribe and to speak the truth and the science of medicine, but that seems to have been taken away. Well, they're trying to take it away, but uh, here we are, and we're speaking the truth, and we're speaking the science, and we're not a slave to money. So really, they're, they're not going to stop us from continuing to follow the Hippocratic Oath and the Golden Rule and science and ethics and everything. You know, the thing that is, is as ridiculous as so many things we see in the world right now is that here you have, for instance, Dr. Phillips, I've been following him since early in the scamdemic. And there's a guy who uh, is smart, is ethical, is kind. And uh, we were in meetings while he was still in the hospital. All he did was did the right thing every step of the way. He just continued to show up at work 
and do the right thing, whether that meant knowing how to treat COVID, whether that meant not violating a baby with an unnecessary test that was only harm, whether that meant recognizing when somebody had a stroke after being injected with this misrepresented, you know, really bioweapon injection that we warned everyone about. And when he would notice the, the obvious, you know, causal or, or temporal relationship and would try to report according to Canadian law, the adverse events, not only did they then attack him, like weaponizing their power over licenses, which has got no purpose in this at all. This is like a policeman using the gun the government allows it to carry to mug and rape people. Coming after Patrick Phillips for telling the truth, for noticing an adverse event and reporting it. I mean, things are so far off the rails. And so here we are, for instance, they've suspended my license. I don't care. I'll be honest. I mean, this, this is way bigger. I'm in the fight for my grandchildren's future. I'm in a fight for Canada. I'm in a fight for freedom. Right? I'm not going to get on my knees for their pathetic fiat currency. And what you said is completely true. I mean, at least 10% of Canadians never took a shot. That means they're extremely well informed because it was very hard not to take one of these shots. But more like 80% of Canadians are not taking the third or the fourth. So that means Canadians are awake. And that means that, that you know, somewhere between 20 and 80% of Canadians including myself and my family, do not want to go into the hospitals where I once took pride working because it's a dangerous place. You will be violated. You will be coerced. You will be abused. You'll be seeing surgeons, for God's sakes, that are hatching spike proteins in their own brain. And if like a lot of other people I know, their IQs are descending, right? So 100%. You're right. You're right. They're terrified. Actually, Dr. Trozzi, I just met a woman. She had to go in because she had COVID. And because she was unvaccinated, she said it gave her PTSD after being in the hospital for the way she was treated. Uh, the, the coercion, the attacks, the, the dirty looks. I mean, the way that she was treated was so bad. And now we do know that the you know, the evidence is showing that lots of people that have taken the shot are also dying in the hospital. And so oh, yeah. none of this makes sense. Well, yeah, the thing is, we've been right about the science. We've been right ethically. We're, you know, Patrick Phillips, for me, and, and Crystal too, but Patrick's, he was one of the first people to jump on the ice and take on the bullies and tell the truth. You know, he's the head of medicine in Ontario for me, right? You know, and, and so... This 20 to 80% of Canadians wants access to 0.01% of the doctors in this country, like Hoff and Maltos and Christian Phillips and Luchke and Trozzi and Benoit and uh, Maltos. And I mean, there's a lot of us. There's like there's like 100 in, in, in Ontario alone. So they're saying, no, you can't. They're saying, no, you pay your taxes and you're only going to go and be processed like an unwanted animal by the Bill Gates program. And we're all on our knees before it. So you know, yeah, suspend my license, whatever. Uh, it becomes irrelevant. I mean, I'm, I'm embarrassed that I'm still in business with the CPSO because it's immoral. The only reason I'm still in business with the CPSO is because we're trying to rescue the CPSO and turn it back into a legitimate organization. In the absence of that, the provincial government should dismantle it. And in terms of people that should be up on charges, what, Crystal Luchke up on, on charges and destroy her family's livelihood and income? Because what? Because she's smart enough to know that what was really going to kill people was locking people in isolation because she did everything right like Patrick's? No, the people who need to be on trial here are all the accomplices to this massive COVID crime against humanity. That includes the head of the CPSO. We will not get on our knees. We're here to see things fixed. But either way, we're with Canadians. And 
it doesn't matter. You know, send me 20 bucks, I'll buy a bag of rice and we carry on with the truth. Wow. A absolutely. 100%. And, uh, we've been watching this. Um, the many doctors are so afraid somehow the three of you and crystal has to go to get her children now. And I'm so sorry about that. We'll, we'll miss her. Cause we, we would have loved to have spoken to her longer, but, um, family first, uh, we'll have her on again, but, um, Many doctors do not have the courage that you have. I do hear from them privately. They don't ever want their names mentioned. Uh, some of them want to figure out how to get a vaccine passport so they can still um, continue to do work, but they don't have the courage that you've had. And it's imperative that we stand at this time. And uh, Dr. Phillips, one of the things I think that you've had to face, and I don't know where you got your courage, but you've had to literally take them on. Could you tell me, please, is the CPSO, is that a private organization? Like it's not government, right? Your audio seems to be. Also, do we have the, the uh, lawyer there? Um, I'm sorry, we're not getting your audio right now. Try is again. Is it back okay. now? Yes, it's back. Thank you. Okay, perfect. Uh, yeah, so that's a that's a great question. The CPSO is a self-regulated profession, so it's an organization that's basically government, but it's separate from government. So it's set up by a statute, like the Regulated Health Professions Act, um, but it's kind of at arm's length from government. But it basically has all the facets of government. They they enact the law, they they prosecute, they um, they judge in the tribunal. Um, and they investigate. They're basically like a police judge, jury, and executioner for doctors in, in Ontario. Uh, so yeah, we're self-regulated in the sense that it's some of the people in it are um, are elected by doctors, but overall it's really government uh, at arm's length. So they're still uh, bound by the charter uh, because they're a government organization uh, okay. that enforces law. Right. Okay. So that, that makes sense there. Um, we did have your lawyer. We're just seeing, we can see, um, we can't see his, his, uh, picture, but we can see audio. So we'll see what's happening with that. Uh, Dr. Trozzi, um, this, this, this body, then the CPSO, they seem to be taking liberties, I think is what you guys are saying. They've taken liberties and just done whatever they want with no, uh, no accountability. And now that seems to be at the crux of what you're fighting. Good metaphor. I mentioned it earlier as police. All right. Like for instance, I'm not allowed to carry a handgun. I, I don't particularly want to, but Police officers are given a special permission to carry a handgun in performance of their duty. They're given a power from the people through the government to to use to use that power properly and, and in in maintaining their oath. So, for instance, if a police officer goes around mugging people or raping people at gunpoint, that is unlawful. That is what you call weaponizing a power that's given by the people through the state. And this is what the CPSO has done because they've, they've made these, um, they call them statements or advices. Advices is not anything that you enforce. 
And their advice, which goes completely against science, against what we predicted, or once the best scientists in the world predicted, against what we wrote about for the last two years, against what the statistics around the world are showing, their advice goes against that. And their advice, which is complete and absolute negligence at the very minimum, which is a crime in this case. If you have a public office and you're completely negligent even knowing what you're doing, but their negligent advice is do not prescribe safe and effective treatment for COVID, including ivermectin, even though it's an 85 plus percent cure rate. It's phenomenal. It performs amazing around the world, empties in hospitals, and no one had to suffer and almost nobody would have died, even of the people that did actually die with COVID. Their second piece of advice is uh, you cannot, uh, don't write an exemption for almost anybody against being injected with something they don't want to be injected with. And that has clearly proven itself to make a, your risk of hospitalization for COVID much higher, but B, and more importantly, to kill you and sterilize you and cause immeasurable harms throughout the entire body from heart attacks to strokes to advancing dementia, kidney disease, cancer, etc. And it's phenomenal for creating abortions, but they don't want us to do anything that gets between the people and the needle. Like tell them, hey, that's a genetic injection. That's not even a vaccine and it's clearly not safe and you don't need it and there's zero risk of COVID for children. So the other thing that they've advised against is saying anything that goes against Dr. Tam and other complete whack jobs uh, who I can only think must be evil because they can't really be this stupid that to have access to things like, for instance, Pfizer's own six month trial, which since the beginning of last year, we knew the jab killed or that 3% of the people died within a few months of the jab, 28% were injured, almost all of the pregnant women aborted their babies, stuff like this. So we're not supposed to tell you that. We're not supposed to prescribe medicine that will cure your COVID or treat your side effects. We're not supposed to recognize that you've been damaged by a vaccine. Um, and so that's insane. That's absolutely insane. So who are the criminals here, right? Like the, it's a complete like the college isn't even valid now and as for all the doctors who are going along with this or quietly trying not to get themselves injected by but not having the courage or the ethics or holding to the hippocratic oath to warn their neighbors warn their patients for god's sakes don't take that jab uk data shows that the oldest people it doubles the risk of dead in months and and young people it raised their risk of being dead within six months by 50 to 80 percent i mean that's absolute madness and they're telling us not to do anything to stop it and if we do anything to stop it, even though they don't have the authority, they're just going to strip our licenses and say, you're not going to feed your family. You're not going to have a job. And as for all the citizens in your province, they're not allowed to see any doctor that'll tell them the truth. That's how wicked this thing up. If I seem pissed off, that's because I am and I should be, as should everybody. So, so that's who we're dealing with here. And, and so I, I reach out to doctors. I was in the same boat. I had a beautiful career before this. I have an amazing career now, even though we're living in a war, but not doing the right thing is not a good career. That's just pathetic, right? But I could always follow the golden rule, the Hippocratic Oath and make a living. This is your time that you have to choose between one or the other. Is it God or is it money? Are you going to be on your knees, be a slave to money and find out that fiat currency is a joke and they're about to bring in a global system that is going to just eliminate it anyways and, and, and y'all end up being slaves to this? Or are you going to go with something bigger, whether you call it God or Jesus or Muhammad or love or spirituality or just philosophical respect for the for other people's existence? And that's the choice doctors face. I've made my choice. Patrick's made his choice. We won't be changing it. It doesn't matter what they do, right? And I encourage more to make that choice because not making that choice is complicit 
It's being an accomplice and it is killing people and it is destroying our culture. So that, that's kind of my thoughts on, on the CPSO in this regard. Well, and, and I appreciate you saying that. And you brought on uh, and, and spoke about all of the harms that are happening. How can doctors, in, in the face of what's going on, so ju just to give you an example, um, I was just in Alberta. There are a lot of people who know that in the, um, in the maternity ward in Red Deer, Alberta, they are having babies die at an unprecedented rate and everyone is like silent on this lest they lose their jobs meanwhile a lot of people know we need whistleblowers to start talking about this i mean this is becoming more and more prevalent we're seeing people die on air we're seeing all of these um uh, in fact doctors dr Macus is outlining uh, all the doctors that have been forced to take their third and fourth shots and they're now paying a high price for it i i don't see how being silent is is any value we're harming our society and that's what you have all been doing and it's fantastic and the the more we see that actually Pfizer I think you guys would know better than than me but Pfizer knew that there were going to be harms they knew that babies had died they knew that there was going to be troubles with myocarditis and they should be held accountable but it seems like there's no hope of that well, there's, there's hope of it. Yeah, there is hope of it. Actually, there was an announcement. I, I can't remember if it was uh, today or yesterday, but um, uh, Ron DeSantis announced that he's submitted a, a petition to the Supreme Court of Florida to investigate all the wrongdoings in the marketing of uh, Moderna and Pfizer COVID vaccines. So that certainly is a ray of hope uh, that uh, justice may may come as well as uh, a lot of the twitter files and the COVID files that elon musk is is releasing uh showing the collusion between the federal government um uh, and twitter to uh censor a lot of these uh these details um but yeah i mean mark covered a lot of ground obviously about the cpso um i have to say there are some good things that they do they were created with a good intention uh, of stopping doctors who who uh, sexually abuse their patients, or uh, or a surgeon maybe who's killing half of his patients. That's that that's what uh, these colleges were were created were for. Were set up for uh, to right. basically get rid of bad doctors, right? But what's like it? And it it brings this fundamental question of freedom versus control, right? Because that control of having the CPSO allows you to get rid of those bad doctors. But then what happens if somebody bad takes over the CPSO? That's the scary thing, right? So uh, um, as much as um, it seems like a good thing to, to be able to police and, and get rid of the bad ones, when a bad force or a, a negative corrupt influence takes over the control mechanism, which is the CPSO or the government, that's so much more dangerous than allowing bad doctors to get away with a few things if one bad doctor sexually abuses patients or uh is somewhat incompetent that's kind of a bad thing but what we're witnessing is the corruption of the control mechanism itself the cpso now that they're uh exerting all of their control they're not only allowing bad doctors to get away with uh um coercing their patients or participating into the coercion and the medical assault of patients forced to get uh, these genetic injections. But uh, they're coercing the good doctors too. The good doctors are, are being uh, 
hung out to dry. And especially the first ones who speak out like ourselves, they basically were their whipping boys, right? To, to uh, be the example, to scare all the others uh, away from, from speaking out and, uh, and whistleblowing. Um, I can tell you myself, like, like uh, Mark said, when I reported adverse events that were happening in the emergency department at, at the hospital I was working at, um, uh, they all got rejected by public health. Uh, I felt compelled to go public about it. And he retaliated and reported me to the CPSO, which, I mean, that's vexatious and frivolous and everything. But what's even crazier is that they're prosecuting me for professional misconduct for every single adverse event that I reported. And they're taking away my license just for reporting those adverse events. So the backlash is very real. Uh, if any, like, and I, it, I understand why a lot of people aren't speaking out because you likely will lose your job, even at that Red Deer Hospital, if that is what's going on. Um, they're terrified. The right to they're do terrified because, to speak because, up. Yeah, but we we went into this profession to save lives for part of it, but especially to serve patients and their best interests about what they want. That's why the principle of informed consent, which has been central to my medical training, my philosophy of medicine, I never force or cajole patients into any kind of treatment. I'm here to serve you and your needs. Tell me what you want for your health, like what's your, the problem you want to solve, and I'll give you some options and you can take them or leave them. Or we can negotiate and work together to find something that works for both of us, right? Um, but this whole philosophy now of coercion has infected the medical profession. Uh, anybody who doesn't want the vaccine is called an anti-vaxxer. They are kicking them out of their practice um, and uh, they're coercing them and cajoling them into getting treatments that they don't want. That's just one, I think that's criminal. Uh, and two, I wouldn't want to go anywhere near a doctor who does things like that because I know it happens. And, and, especially the most vulnerable people who go into the hospital extremely sick. I've heard horror stories of family members who dropped off a relative uh, with COVID and they said, I do not want that remdesivir, which is shown to kill uh, so many people. Like I believe 25% of people end up with severe uh, liver failure, kidney failure. Um, I do believe it's the cause of a great number of COVID deaths. I've heard these horror stories of local hospitals that gave it to them anyway. They expressly told them, I don't want uh, a remdesivir, and they give it to them anyway. And this whole philosophy of informed consent um, has just, it's gone. And that's what's so scary. I understand why people wouldn't want to go anywhere near a hospital. I would not at all. Maybe if you're fully with it and you have people around you supporting you, but if you are incapacitated in any way, you're a little bit confused, they're going to have their way with you and uh, they're going to follow what the government wants them to do for you uh, and what they believe is best and that's scary because the patient yes. always knows what's best for them and we only offer give them options the whole idea of doctors claiming we know what's best for you and giving things to people against their will or to vulnerable people who can't give consent that's that's what's wrong that's what colleges were created to get those people out of the profession that's the role of the cpso people who commit criminal acts like that, even if you get away with it because the culture right now allows it, those are the people whose licenses should be revoked. Uh, 100%. Or, um, yeah, that's the 100%. Role of the CPSO. And 
that's how it needs to be. With we, well, and, and we just thank you. Like, thank you. Thank you. I can tell you that people across this nation listening right now are so grateful. You're saving our country and it needs to be done. And another true hero for handling this case is, uh, is the lawyer that we have here. Um, and uh, Michael, thank you for being with us. I think that we have your audio now and all of that. Thank you for having the courage to, to actually defend these doctors and to stand up for what is right. Oh, thanks, Laura Lynn. I'm sorry about the technical difficulties. Um, you know, that's just part of the game these days. I have a new computer. It could be working a little bit. No worries. Better, Everything's um, good. We're glad you're here. But um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I've been fighting this battle for quite some time. I started defending doctors who are being attacked for practicing CAM, that is a complementary and alternative medicine, uh, back in the uh, 2000s. And in Ontario, you have a right to practice uh, CAM under Section 5.1 of the Medicine Act. It's very clear, it's undisputed, but the college has its own view of what CAM means and what medical science means. And they had a hit list of doctors um, who were practicing CAM, not, not entirely, but in part of their practices. And they went after those doctors and, and persecuted them mercilessly and forced one of my uh, clients into a resignation, uh, though I advised against it. So I, I've been down this path before, and I can say that the college is as it always has been. Uh, the problems with the college were um, documented uh, back in, in around 1999, 2000 by uh, Michael Code, who is now Justice Michael Code uh, of the Ontario uh, Court of Appeal. And uh, anyway, uh, Mr. Code, as he then was, wrote a devastating critique of 10 cases he was asked to provide an independent review of. And uh, so you can date the problems with the college back to the 1990s. Uh, the college has been under its current legislation for 32 years. And during this entire time, it's very clear to me, based on the history, based on my own experience, the college has been systematically stepping outside of its jurisdiction and abusing its authority um, for, for decades. And why, why has this never been uh, resolved? And that's because uh, doctors in uh, Canada are represented for the most part by the CMPA, the Canadian Medical Protective Association. They pay into an insurance fund and lawyers are assigned to represent them in malpractice cases and also in, in cases uh, involving uh, disputes with the college. When it comes to the college, the CMPA does not, as a matter of policy, challenge the colleges on their jurisdiction uh, or uh, on charter grounds. And, and most doctors don't know that. Uh, you sort of have to twist the arm of a CMPA lawyer to get that out of them. So actually, there is a, a kind of giant fraud that has been perpetrated on the profession insofar as most doctors don't know that they cannot get a legitimate legal defense from their uh, insurance lawyers. And then there's, there's a, an aspect of this that I would describe as collusion, because as long as the CMPA lawyers do not solve the major legal problems relating to the abuse of power by the college, they keep on billing. They've always got work. As long as you don't solve the problems, you've always got work. And then on the college's side, it always has work and an excuse to raise funds and add to its staff and its administrative power because the problems are never solved. So you have two teams of lawyers on either side who are making money off doctors, I think on an illegitimate basis and contrary to the basic uh, ethics of representation contained in all uh, law societies, codes of, of ethics across the country which is that you must 
uh, vigorously uh, defend your client based on the full range of rights and claims that he or she may have. The CMPA does not do that. So this arrangement is really great <laughs> for the college and the CMPA. It is terrible and a complete sellout for doctors and patients. Right. Um, you as a lawyer probably, my guess is you experience somewhat of what the doctors are under, and that is the pressure not to take on cases like this. Right. What's going on in the profession is, you know, quite curious. Um, I mean, I understand why the CMPA lawyers are not um, doing uh, what they should be doing in, in the midst of this crisis, but I've dealt with other lawyers uh, who are not CMPA lawyers and who are offering independent uh, representation. And some of them are more conservative than the CMPA lawyers. You know, I think your job as a lawyer is to rock the boat. And there seems to be a, a, a terrible reluctance on the part of even independent lawyers, not all, but on the ones that I've dealt with, to rock the boat. And uh, so all I can say about that is that some people put their country club memberships ahead of justice. Well, thank you for not being one of those people. And thank you for vigorously <laughs> defending the, the heroes that sit before us. Uh, but by the way, I, I have belonged to, to some very Tony clubs in my time. I'm not against clubs, but you know, uh, uh, when you're in a crisis like this, you have to make a choice and so many people yes. haven't. I think Dr. Trozzi, uh, you know, you spoke of the, the, the choice you have to make between money, let's say, or your reputation or your fear of man. Uh, this is an epic hour where doctors need to rise up. In fact, uh, people of all professions and need to speak out about what's happening because um, the, the schools are full of teachers that some are beginning to get more vocal and more courageous. But this really does hit doctors uh, where it hurts because you can literally lose your jobs. And you guys have decided that come hell or high water, you're going to stand up for your Hippocratic Oath and for the people that you that you encounter and that you care about in this nation. And that is a very, very difficult thing. And even as we are seeing, I mean, I did see something that said the CEO of Pfizer is even resigning. I, I have not been able to verify that that thing that came across my desk. So I'm hesitant to say that. But apparently, even within Pfizer and Moderna, there's got to be a lot of angst going on about what they are doing to humanity. This is brutal. Yeah, I think your mic is off. Sorry. sorry That's okay. That's okay. Yeah. You know, it's, it's very true what you're saying. And, and, you know, something that underpins all of this, I mean, Mike was talking about complementary medicine and a history of like, you know, for instance, there may be uh, a few doctors who said, hey, let's try uh, helping cancer patients with dimethyl sulfoxide. And, you know, there's all kinds of, all kinds of things where people should have their, their choice of some options. Uh, and, but, but what makes this case so unusual <clears throat> is that the science is settled. Right. So there's more than we can go into in one interview. Obviously, I have a whole website on this. I've written 400 articles on this. I've spent the last two years of my life completely and absolutely dedicated to the study of COVID science, the study of these injections. I've looked at everything from the statistics 
to the biochemistry, to the electron micrographs of the autopsies of the people who died from this, these injections, for instance. Um, I'm working with top scientists from around the world. You know, I'm, I'm one of the steering members of the World Council for Health. We have health and science committees. We have 170 organizations in, in 50 countries. Like, I've, I've worked with pathologists, statisticians, biochemists, microbiologists, immunologists, vaccinologists. Like, I've been doing this for two years. And I got to tell you, there's a reason that, for instance, with Senator Johnson's roundtable last week, there's a reason there were empty chairs there. It's because none of these, either you could call them violent criminals or negligent morons, who are saying, is safe and effective vaccine and the trouble is from the anti-vaxxers. First of all, it's not a safe, it's not effective vaccine. It's not even a vaccine unless you're willing to change the definition of things. So they never show up to debate. Paul Alexander and myself challenged the ministers of health, come and talk to us anywhere, anytime, any place. Patrick Phillips showed up to do the same along with leaders in Ottawa. They will not show, they will not debate, they will not discuss, right? It's just pure propaganda. It's black and white. I mean, yeah, just some I, of the if basic I could add stuff. to that, yeah. yeah, if I could add that to that, Mark, I mean, we have a real Please. crisis here of democracy, and uh, we don't have freedom of speech, and we don't have the rule of law at the moment. Wherever I go, administrative bodies and governments are acting outside the rule of law, and and then on top of that, uh, we they do not allow themselves to be held accountable. Dr. Whitmore, the CEO of the college, I have no idea where she is. I think she's hiding out in her family home in Stratford, but she never appears in the media. Uh, she never interviews with anybody. This is true for all of the people who are pushing this agenda. They do not want to be questioned in public. And when public officials, I mean, the Ontario uh, Superior Court ruled um, in a case I was involved in back in January in, where uh, Patrick and Mark were involved as parties. Um, the uh, court ruled that the officials of the college are public officials. And as such, they cannot escape scrutiny and public accountability. And yet they consistently act as if they have the right not to be held to account. This is uh, the real virus that we're facing. It is the end of democratic government as we knew it. We, we don't have democratic government right now. Uh, uh, you you are so absolutely right. And uh, it's actually quite terrifying because when you see that it's so illogical and there's a lack of critical thinking and it doesn't make sense that there's all of this silence, when uh, Dr. Trozzi just said the, the science is actually settled on this, it's very obvious this is not a safe and effective vaccine. And yet we're all, we're watching CBC, CTV and Global every single night give us a, a psyop of what's going on. And you have to begin asking, what is actually going on? What is wrong with Dr. Teresa Tam? What is wrong with Dr. Bonnie Henry continuing to want pregnant women to take this when we know babies are actually, uh, you know, being harmed? What is really going on here? And it's it's disturbing to the deepest sense of humanity. Yes, and you know, uh, let me even present a hypothetical to you. Well, it's not a hypothetical. It's it's really. I, I, let's just take a. Let's say for the moment that the, the the science is not settled. Um, in uh, in Canada and throughout the Western world, minority opinions about science and particularly medical science deserve to be heard, and and deserve to have currency. There are cases on the books, in particular in Canada and the UK, 
where um, a responsible minority opinion in medicine uh, is uh, to be respected. Um, it, it is protected and deserves to be respected. And one can practice medicine based on a minority opinion as long as it, it meets certain uh, standards of research. And uh, so I could just say like in the UK, the, the, the leading case there back in the 90s uh, involved 11 neurosurgeons who wanted to perform a radically new procedure. And so the government and, and the college went after them and said, you can't do that. And the court said, as long as there is a, a responsible and reasonable minority opinion, and 11 neurosurgeons out of 1,000 neurosurgeons in the UK is sufficient to meet that standard, then you have the right to practice medicine based on that minority view. In fact, the court makes a very persuasive argument, which I think is ineluctable, which is that without the minority point of view, there can never be progress in medical science because we all know that the minority view, the majority view always starts off as a minority view. And so if we stifle the minority, we actually stifle truth and human progress. And so right. these principles are very clear, but the colleges have no interest in respecting them. And that's, that's what leads to mass formation psychosis. Like when we silence good doctors like this who are telling the truth, you've got idiots like Matthew Good, you know, uh, going and doing concerts in British Columbia and announcing to an entire crowd that freedom uh, convoy people and people that stand for bodily autonomy should basically be flown to Congo. This is what he said. He said, flown to Congo and um, shot by teenagers with AK-47s. Who says that out loud? That's oh, wow. hate speech. Yes, and, it is. and this is coming against people. Yeah. Um, there was a, a gentleman in Ontario in this last month as I did my tour through Ontario and he had been at our meeting and then he got a detached retina and they said, you need an, an emergency operation. You'll need to take the vax in order to get that operation. That's what he was told. He fought it tooth and nail and he finally got a religious exemption that actually worked. I mean, it's some kind of miracle, but you know, people are being told you don't get a, a transplant. You don't get help. Uh, doctors are now telling their patients that unless you're vaccinated, you can't be on my roster anymore. I'm hearing from these people. I'm also hearing from the people with all of these harms that are going on and no one's allowed to talk about it. Therefore, the, the simple people who listen to CBC and CTV and to see KNW on their, on their radio as they go to work back and forth every day, all they hear is, oh, the vaccine's safe, the vaccine's safe. And our humanity is literally facing an epic, like the death rates are going up. Insurance companies are going, we got a problem here because a lot of people are dying. And, and, and why are they dying? Because nobody's saying it's the vaccine. We got a problem, right? Sudden adult uh, death syndrome. This is, this is epic. And at the front of it are men like yourselves. And I can't tell you how much and how important it is that you keep up this fight and we appreciate it. Thank you, Laurel. And, and, and you, you raise an excellent point about the media, because of course we know the media has been bought in Canada with $1 billion for, uh, of subsidies from yes. Trudeau. Um, but but the, the media has been uh, tilting um, towards an ideological point of view for quite some time. Now it's accentuated. But th this is a giant information warfare, um, you know, uh, crime that's going on. And, uh, you know, and it's very effective. And, and the problem I face as a lawyer is that I am presenting problems that are, as I say, hiding in plain sight. 
And the legal solutions to those problems are evident. That's what I argued before the college three weeks ago on behalf of uh, Mark and Patrick and Crystal. And that's true. This is not rocket science. And yet people don't want to listen. And the, the, the painful thing about it is that I think they really don't see. They're past the point where they can see the reality that's right in front of them. They have ideological blinders on. And that is how effective uh, these propagandists uh, have been. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think Michael hit some some great points there. Uh, I do I do think that they're they're taking advantage of a, a, a psychological principle that people act not necessarily according to what they believe, but more often actually according to what they believe the people around them um, uh, believe. So, for example, even if you don't think the masks mean anything. But if you see everybody walking around with a mask, most people would end up putting a mask. And they did psychological experimentations like this in the 60s and 70s to kind of nail these principles down to be able to use them in, in the nudge units and other, other things like that. And that is a big part of what they're doing with the media. So the media, like, like Michael mentioned, has been bought and paid for by Trudeau. All the major media outlets receive funding from uh, Justin Trudeau and they don't put out the same message or give him editorial control then that money goes away and those companies go bankrupt. So they will just disappear if they don't take that money because uh, advertising money for, for media companies has plummeted. So they need that money to stay alive. So that's why it, while it seems that we have CTV, uh, uh, Global News, Toronto Star, uh, and all those things, they all seem like different companies. They're not. They're all controlled by one organization, and that's the federal government. And so while it might seem like that actually reinforces a lot of these beliefs with the propaganda, because when a human being sees that there's a message coming, not just from one source like the CBC, but there's differing opinions from other sources like CTV or Global, but if it's coming from multiple sources around you, they did experimentation as well. And they found that that like doubled or tripled the effect. They really believe, well, they must be wrong, right? If it's multiple sources are saying something is true. That said, I really believe that human beings are, we're spiritual beings and we can sense the truth when we hear it. Even if you don't have the evidence, you can tell on some level when somebody's telling the truth. And that is why the truth is so dangerous to them. Because when you're surrounded by lies, when you start to hear the truth, it is infectious and you it starts to change things and that's why they have to fight so hard tooth and nail to keep any voices from telling that truth that contradicts all the lies that they're spreading around because once it catches on um, people know it and the, and it will uh, start to have a massive influence and that's why we see such intense censorship from twitter or or, or youtube and others because they know once enough people just hear that truth, they will know that as the ring of truth and it will start to blow, like it will kind of break the spell that they have us all under with their mass media uh, campaign. 100%. So, so I think that's that's what I knew I need. That's that, that's part of what influenced me to, to know I needed to speak out because if people can just hear the voice of just a few doctors, of a few scientists, it can break that consensus, right? That has people thinking, well, everybody thinks it's true, that the vaccine's safe, therefore it must be true. If you, people just hear a, 
the truth, even from a few small voices, it can make a massive difference. I have a video I want to show you guys of a fellow basically getting his fourth dose and collapsing. And when we talk about the media, uh, can you imagine how, uh, you know, how instrumental this would be in sharing the truth if, if this were aired on CBC at night? But here's, here's a short video. Take a look. Look at this. See where the f*** Did he just get a head? shot? Just got his, just got his fourth fucking jab. This is criminal. What you guys are doing is criminal. He's a kid. Oh, well, criminal. The, third, the first three didn't work. Let's go, folks. You think I'm intimidated or something? I just passed out. Free to walk and record them all, all I want. Just stare at me like you're making a difference. It's not a good fucking difference. Let's go. Have a nice day. Let's yeah. Let's so basically people are capturing all over the world uh these people falling over people being harmed they're capturing all over the world very strange things that are happening but you don't see it on our mainstream media and i do think they're bought out i think that uh michael you had that point about how much money they're getting and trudeau is very invested in these vaccines i mean he's probably personally invested who knows but he's bought a he's bought over 400 doses and it keeps going and then they have to throw away the ones that are no good anymore and he basically wants us all vaccinated every three months at this point and so he he has a heavy investment in this and he's trying to, you know, please Klaus Schwab. Uh, you know, they all think that this is the way as well. And so the media is culpable in all of this. And even there's another CTV story, um, a website story that says increased heart failure linked to extreme hot and cold. And then buried way down in this story that CTV dares to put up there, it says that the, re the researchers say uh, the study is limited by the under-representation of South Asia, the Middle East, and Africa in the data. And they, these are some of the hottest areas in the world. But um, the increased um, heart failure is linked to extreme hot and cold. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Like they're finding everything but that it could be the vaccines to blame this on. And, and Laura actually, Lynn, you, so oh, sorry, Mark, please go ahead. Please sorry. go ahead. They actually had a prostitute scientist publish a paper approximately last week that claimed that <laughs> that the reason people are dying after the shot is because people like us told them the shot was dangerous and that caused them anxiety during the shot, which caused their arteries to spasm and give them a heart attack or a stroke. I mean, that's how ridiculous it is. And if you look at, I mean, you've got, you got, Prostitute media, prostitute politicians, prostitute scientists, prostitute regulators. I don't give, we shouldn't give any of these people respect. Like, I don't know why we call them the mainstream media or the legacy media. They're just pathetic dinosaur liars. You know, they're going to lie till nobody's listening. And, and I think we should all stop listening to them. You guys mentioned uh, Dr. Paul Alexander um, and Senator Ron Johnson's um, hearing that he's been putting on. I do have a brief clip of that. And I know that your uh, liaison with such a, a powerful doctor as Dr. Paul Alexander also in this fight is so important. And it, it brings my heart joy to see this beginning to kind of get out and an actual senator, you know, putting this stuff forward. I have a quick clip to show you and get your feedback. Something has happened with these particular gene injections. Some call them vaccines. 
we continue to call them gene injections, that when you vaccinate a population, you are going to, you're trying to stimulate adaptive immunity. And that means neutralizing antibodies that will eliminate the virus. So you want to stop infection, you want to stop replication, you want to stop transmission. But rapidly we go to see negative efficacy with these Pfizer and Moderna vaccines particularly, where we are seeing that those who are vaccinated are becoming infected and reinfected repeatedly. So much so that when you use these vaccines now, they are placing the pathogen and as Dr. Cole said earlier, we are BA4, BA5 subvariant clades. When you place these uh, variants under pressure, natural selection will operate and will select for more infectious variants. So much so that if you kept this bivalent program going, the new booster, you are going to keep this pandemic going for many, many more years. In other words, this vaccine rollout, the way it has been done and the way it is continuing, will keep invariant variants emerging, one variant after the next, and they're going to be more infectious. And uh, there is a concern among virologists that it could actually could become more potential, lethal and virulent. So yes, um, I have no question when you look at the data that the vaccination program, the mass vaccination into a pandemic whilst there's tremendous infectious pressure. You see, that is the issue that we, that, 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 that those who have conducted this vaccination program have made a catastrophic mistake. You do not load your weapon whilst the enemy is on the battlefield. You vaccinate outside of season. We have vaccinated while this virus is circulating. These vaccines cannot work. Right. So, Dr. Trozzi, um, I mean, regardless, they, they've put out a vaccine, you know, in the middle of this pandemic and also without proper testing. And the whole world received it because of the fear mongering and the media and doctors and, and authorities buying into all of it for whatever reasons, be it that they're paid off or whatever. And, and so this is coming out in you know, in a very powerful way with Senator Ron Johnson showcasing some of the thoughts of doctors that are not on board with this. Well, you're completely right. And, and, and Dr. Alexander points to a couple of very interesting things there. First of all, we really shouldn't call these injections vaccines. That's giving ground to the lie, right? So these genetic injections, you can call them, we've studied enough to call it a bioweapon. Um, but in any event, they are not safe and effective vaccines. As he said, they actually increase your rate of hospitalization due to infection. Canadian data showed more than half a year ago, you could see that people with two jabs were two and a half times more likely to be hospitalized with severe COVID and people with three jabs were more than three times. So think about it. I mean, if that's the reason you take the injection is for COVID and it makes you two and a half to three times more likely to get COVID, and again, that's just a minor part. It has so many pathways to kill you. This, this having your entire body produce a 
toxic spike protein, poison the entire body, even the brain, even the unborn baby, and then trigger an autoimmune response where one's body is attacking itself. So not only is your body attacking itself, it's failing to do anything about coronaviruses and causing them to mutate in the injection victims and destroying the immune system so cancers can grow and all kinds of other infections can grow. But even if we had a safe and effective vaccine, let's suppose there really was a safe and effective vaccine, you know, old school, a little bit of an attenuated virus, maybe 50 to 100 units, not 40 trillion copies of genetic material to have your body make the protein, the toxic protein of a virus. But let's say there was a safe and effective vaccine. One of the golden rules of vaccinology is you never vaccinate your way out of a pandemic because of exactly what Dr. Paul Alexander just said. You actually stimulate the evolution and you find yourself chasing a dragon. In other words, you find the virus just constantly evolving. If we had done nothing <clears throat> other than maybe arrest the people that made this man-made virus, if we had done nothing, less than 0.3% of the population would have died. If we had treated them with proper meds that we know, less than about four and a half and 10,000 would have died, right? No children, no young people, even elderly people over 90 had a 5% survival and with safe and effective medicine like ivermectin had less than 1% mortality. It means 99% of our 90 year olds would have survived. Wow. And by the summer of 2020, it would have been all been over. And there's a study in Wuhan on almost 10 million people that shows that. What's caused the problem is all the stuff they've done. And what are they doing? They're creating an endless profit and death cult with this constant reinjection of the poor, deceived populace with these genetic injections. Man, that, that, I mean, when you put it like that, like we have just, we've created a nightmare and in fact opened Pandora's box to who knows what. Um, you know, it's, it's just absolutely shocking. Uh, we'll kind of draw to a, a close here, but I want to get a final comment from each of you. Um, uh, Dr. Phillips, um, you know, th this is, um, you're in the fight of your life and thank you for that. But we've, we've got a, we've got a very bad situation and I pray we see justice. And I'm sure that's why you're in this fight with Michael Alexander. Absolutely. I think um, what we really need is to dismantle this system that has been able to do this. I think, um, I mean, while uh, having criminal convictions and things like that of officials who have uh, caused massive harm, I think is important. I think the most important thing is to get this power out of the hands of individuals that are have unchecked power, things like public health officers, um, um, and colleges uh, like the CPSO. I do think there's a huge amount of value to freedom, to allow people to make mistakes, to uh, keep um, that relationship between patients uh, and their doctor, uh, a very personal one that allows things to be, uh, allows uh, your personal choices and your values to take the forefront of that relationship this hijacking this this growing monster of a tyrannical government and college hijacks that sacred relationship and what we're seeing is uh doctors who are now controlled they can't offer you options they can't give you informed consent because they have to 
treat you the way the CPSO says, or they'll lose their license. While I do think um, uh, bad doctors should be ousted, I, I think it's more important that the, these colleges and government agencies lose a lot of their power and we dismantle it and, and we bring back that freedom 100%. that allows doctors to sometimes make mistakes, but overall allow the patient's values and choices to be uh, front and center. And that's why I think the CPSO needs to be gutted, overhauled, and uh, we need a we need a real constitution that that basically uh, handcuffs these organizations and doesn't allow them to violate basic freedoms and the sacred relationship of doctor and patient. Uh, absolutely. And in light of what's coming out every single day, more and more information, even the insurance companies, like I'm stating, uh, like I stated earlier, and the, the higher death rate that's happening, that's inexplicable. It's not from COVID. And so uh, there needs to be some real investigation and some honesty about the harms. And these people, if they don't, if they don't tell the truth, they need to be held accountable. Michael Alexander, uh, do you do you feel we're on our way to doing that? And I know that's why you're in this battle. It's possible. Uh, I've made arguments <clears throat> on all the major points of law and on some of the points of science uh, before uh, a discipline panel at the College of Physicians and Surgeons in Ontario. I did that three weeks ago. And I, I put it to them in, in the most basic way at the beginning of my submissions that the college cannot uh, act against doctors because they have transgressed recommendations or guidelines established by the college. And these restrictions that the, the college, in fact, all the colleges across the country have placed on doctors and in effect on patients too. Uh, they're all uh, based on recommendations and guidelines. They're not regulations. They're not rules of law. They're not based in the legislation itself. They have no status. They're just saying, hey, we sort of like you to do this, but then it's up to the doctors and the patients to decide whether they want to go on. If they don't, then that's their business uh, based on the principle of informed consent. So I put this before the Ontario College that there's no foundation in law for the prosecutions that it has brought against uh, my clients and, and many other doctors in Ontario. And we're about to have that argument in British Columbia in February, where I will be representing Dr. Hoff before the uh, college's discipline tribunal. Wonderful. So my point is at least let's get the arguments down clearly for the historical record. And if we can move them along in the system. And so Dr. Lutchko's case, for instance, I'm moving it onto the Ontario Court of Appeal tomorrow. So we keep pushing within the system and there have been some good decisions in Ontario. There are a few independent judges out there who have taken the bull by the horns and done the right thing. And so I'm doing this because on any given day, I might find myself before a judge or a panel of judges that are actually open-minded and independent and will um, do the right thing, which is to say, uphold the rule of law. So I will keep going on that track. Uh, if, if I have to go all the way to Thank the Supreme you. Court of Canada, I will. We support you. We're behind you. And could I ask, when you do things like in February with Dr. Hoff in British Columbia, is that a public hearing or is it all, all private? Yes, it's public. And so that issue, we'll see how public it's going to be as we get closer to the hearing date. So we're allowed uh, to, first... are we allowed to show up? Oh, yes. 
And in Ontario, we, we pushed that one with the college. Thousands of people wrote to the college in Ontario um, several weeks ago and said, we want to be in on this hearing, which as a matter of statute law must be public. And the college originally had a very limited YouTube room uh, for that purpose. And they received, they were so overwhelmed by people writing in that they were forced, go, forced to go to a public channel. And we had over the course of the two hour proceeding, 17,000 people watching this. Beautiful. And so win or lose, this is a, a huge victory for us because we have exposed to 17,000 people who are gonna talk to others how the college really works. And I think if people sit in on these hearings, even for a short period, they will see how corrupt the system is. Yes, we believe it should be gutted. We support that. And uh, thank you, Michael Alexander. And Dr. Trozzi, I'll give you the final word today. Well, um, one thing briefly, when, when the 17,000 people quickly viewed that tribunal, strangely, the college had on the channel a threat that if anyone recorded it or shared it beyond then, that they would receive a $25,000 fine, which seems bizarre. And when the hits hit so high, they pulled it down. So the video is not there. I received a rumor. I received a rumor that actually uh, somebody else, uh, I'm not sure where in the world did record it and uh, that it's probably up somewhere. So if people look for that, you probably find it out there. Unbelievable. Um, but, they are so scared of the truth. Yeah. But in terms of in terms of maybe a final word, I mean, I mean, the, on this subject, you know, don't take the shot, don't take another shot. If you took a shot, go somewhere like the World Counts for Health get on the spike protein detox guide, and we will continue trying to figure out what to do to limit the damage. In terms of people, you know, this isn't about whether you're willing to defend me and Dr. Phillips. This is about we're defending you. The question is, how are you going to help us defend you and your grandchildren and your children and everybody? Because it's that serious. The science is black and white, right? Don't wait for the CBC or another lying group of government-funded propagandists to, to tell you the truth. They're not going to. They never are going to. Um, and I think that really the... The last thing would be that everybody is in this, everybody's at risk. If we sink the Titanic, everybody in the Titanic goes down, even those with the first classroom. So there's a message yeah. to the doctors out there who are still going along with this. And I'd like to send one message to the CPSO because I do not believe that everyone at the CPSO is an absolutely vile, lying, murderous dirtbag, like obviously some of them in control are. And what I would like to say is, the CPSO assigned 19 people to investigate little old me. And I went, oh, that's great. So that means that hopefully those 19 people did their job. And my website is, is chock full. And I assume they've looked at it chock full of everything from statistics to electron micrographs, to biochemical analysis, to scientific lectures, to pathologists. I mean, it is a big library of the truth. If you've looked, if your job is to investigate that, then you know the truth. And you know what you got to do, and it is not to continue to follow unlawful orders and make yourself further accomplices. So I really urge people at the CPSO, stand up, point the finger at the ones who are really mandating this crime against humanity, this crime against citizens of our province. Let's get this thing straightened up because then good doctors like Dr. Phillips would get these monkeys off our back 
and we can get to the big job, which is we've got to clean up a huge human biological mess that these morons and criminals have made, which is that more than half of the human population is currently poisoned with the bioweapon that we're just figuring out as we go. so incredibly serious thank you to all of you for your continued stand we're watching um i look forward to you being in british columbia michael and uh in whatever way we can help we will spread the word we will get it out as far and wide as we can about what's actually going on and i mean charles hoff is a hero in this uh in this province and across canada as well so all of you we we wish you the very best We'll be praying for you and thank you for the fight. Um, humanity and all of us depend on it. Thank you. We'll see you again. Thanks, Thanks Lord. Thanks, Lord. Such Thanks, a great truth teller. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Wow. Those are my heroes. Those men, absolutely not cowering to money, not cowering to their reputations being spared by being called names by the bullies, but actually standing. It is phenomenal, phenomenal. And I remember having uh, Dr. Trozzi and Dr. Patrick uh, Phillips on earlier and them being able to tell the truth and then all of the hassles you see that are happening, the assaults from the College of Physicians and Surgeons. I think that was important what Dr. Trozzi just said in, in stating that they're not all crazy and bad people, like some must be in order to do what you're doing. I remember when I could not get my dad who had COVID pneumonia in the hospital, I couldn't get him hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin in the hospital. And in Surrey Memorial Hospital, I brought my own and I sat with my father who was on death's door. And a doctor told me that if I had not showed up, my dad would have died. I sat with him for 10 days and I nursed him back to health and I gave him hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin that I got from being abroad in, I was in Mexico and Costa Rica where I got my own stash of pills. And my dad turned around within, within about 24 hours. It was night and day. And I told those doctors at Surrey Memorial exactly what I did. And I said, if you want to make a big deal of this, you just go right ahead. Cause I'd love to blow this puppy sky high because you were about to kill my father. And those drugs helped him. They did not even have so much as an IV bag on a man that looked at death's door. Shame on them. I don't know what's going on with doctors, but nobody wants to go to the hospital anymore because you're all crazy in there. The only, the only people I can really trust now are the, the kind of doctors I have on my show that are going, hey man, something's wrong. What gives? We're going to have to bring some accountability here because... You refuse to allow simple drugs, FDA approved, you know, for, for decades. You re refuse to allow that. But, oh, some, some, you know, supposed vaccine, not by true definition, is allowed to be put out. And now we're hearing of kids in British Columbia. Um, I don't know if we have my tweet ready up yet, JT, but I do have a tweet that's going up after the show of Dr. Mackis outing again a death of a child. In British Columbia, in fact, that there have been six is what we're understanding. You don't hear it on CBC, CTV, or Global. No, they don't want the truth out there. This child that has died was in a, a sporting event um, or, or a, uh, was on a team 
where they were forcing vaccinations. God help us all. I'd like to go to a video now of Dr. Peter McCullough. And uh, basically, he says that this will go down as the biggest biological pharmaceutical safety disaster in the history of mankind. And you don't hear that anywhere on our mainstream media. God help you all on Judgment Day. Take a look. A group based out of the UK, but represent 70 grassroots organizations all over the world. Dr. Mahotra is one of the leaders of this group. The World Council for Health on June 11th, 2022, issued a pharmacovigilance report. They analyzed all the vaccines, 39 safety systems, four big ones in the world, and they're all consistent. There is an alarming signal of excess death after taking the vaccine, an alarming signal. Looking backwards, these vaccines should have come off the market in early January of 2021 for excess mortality. People dying early after the vaccines, now dying late after the vaccines. And this report is comprehensive. It's about 20 pages long. And I, I encourage anybody, if they're saying, listen, sh show me some evidence that the vaccines are harmful. You know, don't do it on your own. Just go to the World Council for Health. This is a wonderful synthesis because it's all over the world. And I can tell you, in total, many tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, and potentially millions of people have lost their lives with the vaccine. This will go down as the biggest biological, pharmaceutical safety disaster in the history of mankind by a mile. This will go down worse than most wars in terms of mortality. A group based and who is talking about this? Dr. Peter McCullough actually facing his license uh, being removed. He's telling the truth. This is spectacular information, crimes against humanity, sounding the alarm. And yet you can go to your next door neighbor now anywhere in Canada and they probably have no idea because they're not hearing it anywhere. Well, let them know, laurelin.tv. So Dr. Ryan Cole is, uh, on this video, addresses what the spike protein does to the human body. Absolutely in the brain terrifying. tissue. Dr. Drew had a, a great question. Is it, in the, is it in the gray matter? Is it in the white matter? Where, where in the brain? Wherever the lipid nanoparticle distributes, and it does get through the blood-brain barrier, and we know S1, the spike gets through as well. So it'll follow the small capillaries and leak into whatever tissue it, it wants to. Okay, next slide, please. Now, this is the aorta. This is something that's unusual. Usually you'll see this in genetic conditions where the aorta ruptures. And you can see on the top, that's the, the autopsy tissue. On the bottom, all those dots, that's inflammation. On the right, that's spike protein, literally causing the lymphocytes to chew a hole in the aorta. This is the biggest blood vessel in your body coming off your heart. When that ruptures, you're gone in minutes. So that's just another example of what deposited spike protein and the induced inflammation can do. Unbelievable. Those are real doctors. This is not science fiction, everyone. This is why I'm here every day going on and on about what's happening because personally, I can't fathom or believe that we've got Dr. Bonnie Henry and her fake, fake position as the person who's supposed to be standing you know, to ensure that British Columbians get the best health care possible. She's fake. 
She's letting us down. She's culpable. Every single provincial health officer, chief public health officer is absolutely guilty at this time of hiding the truth. This is what's happening. People are dying. Children are dying. Babies. Babies. We need whistleblowers to come out, and I hope you will. Um, Dr. Merrick at Ron Johnson's hearing uh, talks about how they weren't even able to offer vitamin C, uh, but the hospital was pushing remdesivir. I believe that our doctors today talked about this. Remdesivir that actually kills people is being offered, and you can't give vitamin C. Take a look. In my hospital, I was banned or discouraged from using off-label drugs, which we use every day, methylprednisolone, vitamin C. My hospital would not allow me to use vitamin C. We're talking about basic safe drugs, and it's an outrage. What they wanted me to use was remdesivir. Where remdesivir we know, and this is not controversial, we know according to the WHO, remdesivir increases your risk of kidney failure 20-fold. Remdesivir will increase your risk of developing renal failure 20-fold. It increases your risk of dying by about 4%. It has no place in medicine, yet the federal government will give hospitals a 20% bonus on the entire hospital bill if you prescribe this toxic medication. So you can see how the hospitals and the healthcare systems are now subservient to industry rather than doing what's best for their patients. Isn't that shocking? Isn't that absolutely shocking? Um, we do this every day because we save lives. When I have traveled this country, going to you know 40 different cities this, this last year, uh, people come up and they say with tears in their eyes, you saved our family. We started listening to you and we got the truth because you're not going to hear this on our mainstream media. Absolutely bought out. We need to get this information to others. I hope that you'll share this video. Um, something very odd. Have you seen what's happening to Celine Dion? And they're calling it stiff person syndrome. Tucker Carlson reported on this. Singer Celine Dion made a sad announcement today. Here's part of it. Recently, have been diagnosed with a very rare neurological disorder called the stiff person syndrome. We now know this is what's been causing all of the spasms that I've been having. These spasms affect every aspect of my daily life, sometimes causing difficulties when I walk and not allowing me to use my vocal cords to sing the way I'm used to. Dr. Mark Siegel joins us now to tell us what this is exactly. Doctor, good to see you. Tucker, this is sad because this is a, first of all, everyone needs to know this is a very, very rare diagnosis. One in a million people. So if your muscles are stiff, it's not this. Very unlikely you have this, but unfortunately, let me tell you a little of the science of this. The brain is responsible for keeping the muscles in check. 
And if you have antibodies that get in the way of that, the muscles go out of control. And what Celine Dion is talking about is the muscles spasm. And they can spasm when a loud sound occurs or you're under stress or anything suddenly happens to change. Your muscles go stiff as a board and you get these spasms. And she says she can't sing. And that's because the neck muscles can be involved and you can have trouble walking as well. Now, we have treatments for this. We use muscle relaxants. We use massage. We use yoga. We use immune therapies against those antibodies because I said the antibodies are attacking the nerves and preventing the brain from suppressing the muscles. We use immune treatments. None of them can cure this, unfortunately. And she's very courageous in the face of this. And I want to say that, you know, my heart will go on. My favorite song of hers from Titanic. She says she will sing that, perform that, for the rest of her life, and I wish her the best, because courage in the face of illness is what we need here, and that's what she's showing. Hmm. Hmm. All right. Um, Sheila Gunn-Reed of Rebel News. I'm so proud of her, and I love her. She's a great gal. She tells the truth every day, and uh, she's from uh, locally here in Canada. She was on Laura Ingram talking about MAID. In Canada, and I think she she's spreading the word, and we need the world to know. Take a look. I mean, we've been talking about mainstreaming depravity tonight on the Angle, and I've got to say, uh, life is disposable in the world today, it seems. But this really does kind of take the cake. It is true, Laura, that Canada is blowing right past Scandinavia in our quest to hit the bottom of the slippery slope faster than everybody else. You know, we've heard this mantra before. It, they told us this about abortion. Um, that medical assistance in dying would be safe, rare, and only in the most dire of circumstances. But as with abortion, we know that's not true. Right now, we know at least 10,000 people per year in Canada are receiving medical assistance in dying. It's right up there with our COVID death numbers. But we can't really know for sure because there are some medical associations that are advising doctors to not record medical assistance in dying as the reason for the death, but rather record the reason they sought medical assistance in dying. This is really, though, just the next step in our descent into darkness, because we've also removed the 10-day wait time from when you ask for medical assistance in dying and when you receive it. So it can happen on the very same day. And this is especially challenging for people who are experiencing mental illness, uh, because those feelings can sort of ebb and flow. And somebody experiencing acute PTSD might ask for and receive yeah, well, medical yeah. assistance. Let me, let me just jump in right here because the mental health issue is, is it's almost like they prefer to get rid of these people. Oh, yeah, they do. Uh, Canadian doctors are being told that they should bring maid up before the patient. I guess just make them comfortable with the fact that they should be told that them dying would, would probably be better, right? It'll be better for all of the resources. In, in the country and, you know, better for their loved ones not to have to worry about them. They just should just die. Now, I'm not certain why Donald Trump was up beside her. D do you get that, JT, at all? Am I missing something? I think it's a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> right. Maybe they meant Trudeau, but they got the wrong TR. Trump Trudeau. I don't know. So all of a sudden Trump's beside her. But anyways, I don't mind that. I love I love Laura Ingram. I love Sheila Gunn-Reed. And for that matter, Trump's kind of okay too. Oh, I'm going to get mail about that. All right. Um, 
We have one final video. Uh, with the release of the Twitter files, we see how much the U.S. government was influencing the social media platforms. This is fascinating. Have you been watching this? As all of this documentation is coming out, we're we're finding out that um, that. Uh, you know, the White House was in collusion with these people, and but of course they're denying it. Now, uh, Karine uh, Jean-Pierre is uh, caught lying about their influence, and uh, this is interesting. Um, and I was wondering if anyone in the Biden administration was in touch with Baker, either regarding moderation decisions that critics call political censorship or regarding uh, his transparency efforts recently. So it's up to private companies uh, to make these types of decisions. We were not involved. We are in regular touch uh, with these social media platforms, uh, and those uh, engagements typically happen through members of our senior staff. We're flagging problematic posts for Facebook uh, that spread this information. No, we had nothing to do with that. Yes, we're in touch with them every single day. Just depends who of the Biden administration uh, is actually talking to you at this time. De you know that that will um, that will depend on on the you know the answer that you get. It won't be the truth, right? Who knows what the truth is? Um, I tend to think that you know that second gal there. Uh, what's her name again? Yeah, Saki, Jen Pisaki. Um, that uh, she was telling the truth that they were in touch with them. But of course, Corinne uh, Jean-Pierre is now um, basically lying every single day. That, that woman lies every single day uh, for the president. And she always starts with by saying, so, so this is how it is, you know. So, well, it might be that way. And yet again, it might not. You can't get the truth out of any of them, so they're absolutely 100% annoying. Okay, I want to um, let you know about our website, lauralyn.tv. Many of you, um, as I travel, thinking that I've gone, you know, awry, like where, where is she? No, I'm here, I'm here a lot, but um, I haven't been on Facebook. I'll be back on Facebook, I don't think tomorrow, but maybe one more day. So maybe by Wednesday, JT, we're back on Facebook, so we'll have to do something very simple and fluffy so that we can actually be on there. Um, uh, Laurelin.tv is where you can follow and, and get sort of the latest broadcast. If you ever don't see me on any of these platforms that you're watching me right now, we're sure glad about Elon Musk opening up Twitter. We're glad that we're there. I still think that my channel is being subverted. I think that they they are stifling it. So I, if anyone out there knows Elon Musk, if you could please call him. And just tell them that one of your favorite people, uh, Laura Lynn. What is that? I can't see it, hun. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, uh, if you could just let them know that I need to be on. And also, don't forget to, if you are looking to purchase uh, gold or silver, we trust Steve Merrill. And he's been on our show. And um, a lot of people discussing what's going on with our finances, with our money with the printing of money. And I just watched a video this morning about some debts that have to come due and be repaid. And they're really being hidden in, you know, those, those budgets that the government balances. Well, there's some serious, serious monies owed that are not sort of in the main. Um, so I'm not an accountant, but they're, they're sort of addendums to the budget but they're serious. And so uh, very concerning what's happening with our money, but all in all, we trust God. And I think that gold and silver, silver is at an all time 
low right now. Amazing. Silver was way more money many, many, many years ago. And they're calling this the artificial, um, the keeping it down artificially right now. And there are some who say that's about to change. So if you're looking for a place or something to invest in, check it out. Sovereignize at protonmail.com. And um, is that it, JT? We've had fun. I want to leave you with a scripture. Thank you for supporting us. I do really, really appreciate it. If you're able to help uh, myself and my, my tiny crew here do what we do to bring you some truth every single day and to do it without any fear. And we are unashamed of telling the truth because we believe we're saving lives and humanity is important to us. And I sure do love all of you. Thank you for the clothes that the, the gals uh, brought to me. I have a t-shirt as well from a precious lady. Um, it's got some gold writing with some scripture on it. And I'm going to try to get that on this week. Wear that. Thank you for sending me little gifts and books and really nice things. Appreciate it. And I love doing what I do. And I love that you're here with me. I want to close off with some songs of praise as in Isaiah 12. And it says, in that day, you will say, I will praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, have you ever felt that God was angry with you? I have. And maybe he was a little perturbed with my behaviors. You know, many years ago in my youth, David said, forgive me for the sins of my youth. Well, you know, there was times in my life when I didn't think God was the most pleased with me. And I had to come to a place of repentance and I had to acknowledge my sin, come before him. So it says, although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away. If God is angry with you, and he might be, he might, he might not be happy about the way you're living right now, but his anger is but for a moment, yet his favor lasts a lifetime. I have come to know that God like an earthly father. Parents sometimes are upset about something you've done or, you know, when you're young, you get in trouble, but they never stop loving you. Not if they're good parents, they never stop being committed to you. And even more so is our heavenly father who might at times be unhappy with our behavior and yet he loves us and he forgives us the moment you say sorry do you know the word of god says that as far away as the east is from the west that's how far he has removed our transgressions and our sins from us so the moment you say god i am so sorry i like to clear the palate i like to keep the slate really short you know that because i can really mess up and especially with someone with a big mouth like mine um, can get myself into a little bit of trouble right but Every single day, in a moment, I like to say, Lord, please forgive me of my sins. And if I know what they are, uh, I, I say them out loud because God knows what they are and so does the devil. And the devil is an accuser of the brethren. So the devil, can you imagine? He sometimes is like, God, look at her, look at him, look how bad they are. But then the word of God says that although the Lord might know your sins and he might a little bit upset with what you're doing because he wants what's best for you his anger turns away and his favor lasts a lifetime and the word of god says that god is your advocate before the father 
So when you've sinned, if you are quick to repent, God hears that and God is faithful to forgive you of your sin. That is a beautiful place to be and it means that we're free. We never have to be sitting there thinking if God's going to remain angry at us. Absolutely not. If you are truly sorrowful, his anger is quickly turned away. Rest in that today. God bless you. We'll see you tomorrow. You know, it's not easy to deliver the truth of what our sick world is doing, but for some of us, we feel that we have no choice. Because if we are silent about these abominable things, then we are letting evil go unchecked, and we cannot do that. For those of you wonderful people who are writing me and are sharing your encouragement, I am deeply grateful. Thank you for all the letters that you've been sending. Thank you for the donations and the support. I found out that in order to speak the truth, you have to become very, very strong. If you would go to my website at www.lauralyn.tv, you'll find all of the ways that you can contact me. Remember, my friends, all is well. All is well. Thanks for joining me.